Lord, we thank you for just being our portion and being our shield this morning. We thank you for allowing us the grace to be able to live our lives, knowing that we will make mistakes. But if we seek after you, Lord, that your grace is sufficient to cover all of our needs and to to fix all of our problems. And Lord, we can have confidence in knowing that you walk with us. We thank you, Lord, that you, you don't let go. As we sang that song a couple minutes ago, Lord, that, you, that you've never let go of us. If we have surrendered our life unto you and we've accepted you as Savior, Lord, that you, you have us. And Lord, that you will never let go of us. No matter what life brings, Lord, we can have confidence in knowing that that is true. We just praise you, Jesus. And it's in that name we pray. Amen. As you already know, we're kicking off our our new series called Plan B. We'll be here for a few months. And I think that there's a lot of Plan Bs that happen in people's lives where the course of life, it kind of directs a path that we didn't think that would necessarily be there. And I I could tell you in my own personal life that that is absolutely true. But the thing that I hope that that the Lord reveals to you is, is maybe not looking at those situations that God has put you in in a negative light, but maybe that he wants to redeem those and bring those out and make them a positive in your life. I was talking to a friend of mine the other day, and um, we have, uh, (laughs) I've been kind of fascinated by this friend of mine who has a talent and has a gift. Now, this person would tell you that this is not done, but I think this thing looks pretty stinking cool. It looks good from back there, doesn't it? It looks awesome. Y'all like that? It's incredible. I'm enjoying it all by myself. Um, seems a little greedy. But he, uh, he likes to do woodworking, and he likes to carve into wood. Now, the reason why I showed you the back side of that is it's kind of marred up, and it looks like some practicing's been done there, but it looks like a normal piece of wood, doesn't it? But yet, when you flip it over, you put a little time into it, you put a little care into it, you put a little talent into it, something happens and transforms what is normally a a regular old piece of wood that we would cut up to make things out of, but yet there's some beauty within it. It just had to be notched and etched out. So the beauty had to be found in the piece of wood. Now, the reason why I share this with you, not because it is amazing, but not just that, I've actually spoke to the individual who has made this and we, uh, we worked together, more so he than I, cut down a tree in my yard. And this tree is really weird. It has kind of like a, the, it didn't like grow normally. It kind of grew like that instead of uh, vertically like you would think. And it has kind of an S in it. And it was kind of cut off right at the top of the S. And I thought to myself, this would be a really cool thing right now if I could actually do some wood carving into the end of this S, right? Anyone who knows me well enough would realize that I'm not necessarily the most creative guy with my hands when it comes to stuff like this, but I thought I was going to give it an effort. So I thought that I would kind of inquire about it a little bit. I've talked to my friend about this a little bit. And and so I have this stump that's sitting there. I have to tell you, it looks the exact same way as the day we cut down the tree. I'm a little afraid to, to actually do that. I'm kind of afraid because it's hard to think that something... That a normal person could take a couple tools and etch out in something and make it beautiful, right? For me, I'm a little bit afraid to do it because then I think, well, what if I fail, right? And if you know me, you'd probably say, yeah, that's more than likely. 
But you say, what if I fail? But then, so I haven't done anything. I, I, necess- I have the tools to do the job. I don't necessarily have the, the know-how to do it, but I have a desire. Which is kind of ironic because in life, I think sometimes that we even have a desire to let God mold us, shape us, and etch out things in our life to help us. But yet, we're a little resistant at times, aren't we? If we're really honest. I mean, if, we're, if we want to strip it all away, strip back every layer of, of every bit of yourself, in some part of you, you're a little bit afraid to let God really shape you and mold you into who He wants you to be because it's kind of scary. You might let somebody down. You might, you might let yourself down. Greatest fear is we might let God down. But yet, I do believe that at the core of every person, every person, not just those who have accepted Jesus up to now, but in the days to come, that God looks at us and He sees amazing potential. And He sees such potential in each and every one of us. He sees beyond what we see. Could it possibly be that God sees potential in us that we, that we won't see for 10 years? And we would say what? Yes. Could it be that God sees some potential in us and some things in us that may seem like it would bring a little bit of pain and suffering right now? But yet, could it be that God wants to shape us through those events, through that little bit of pain, through that little bit of suffering, and to develop us into being the children of God that He wants us to be? I believe that to be true. I do believe that to be true. We're going to be kind of doing a, a study, not necessarily a life study of Joseph, but as you turn to Genesis 37, we're just going to be in four short verses in this today. And what's amazing about Joseph's life is we see who's somebody who is not perfect. As a matter of fact, we're going to point out intentionally a lot of flaws in his life. But we're going to go through and we're going to say that yes, look at his life and, and, and what we're going to see over the next several weeks is how God is interweaving his story through his life to help him to become the person that he wants Joseph to be. And I think the same is true for us. And if we just let God just come into our life a little bit more, just a little bit more deeply, that we would start to see maybe just a glimpse of the potential that He's put in each and every one of us. So many times, even Christians, we walk away, we go Sunday to Sunday, and we have our head down, and we just kind of do our own thing, and we go to work, and we don't really have a witness at work, we really don't have a witness at home, and we fail on a lot of ends, and we come to Sunday, every Sunday, and we come in and we smile, we shake hands, and it's great, and the fellowship of believers is fantastic. I love the fellowship of this church. But yet, somewhere along the way, we actually forget that God is still working in and through us. And He's trying to etch things out in each and every one of us. Now before we, we kind of jump in headlong into the story of Joseph, I want to share a scripture with you, Acts 7-9. Let's be on the screen. Before we go through, and we're going to kind of pick out a lot of things, and it's almost going to be like a negative it seemed kind of negative about his life, but I want you to know that, that before we kind of jump into his story, I want you to know that this is what Acts 7-9 says about Joseph. This is speaking about Joseph's life, and it says that God was with him. Everybody say that. God was with him. So even though he's not perfect, God was with him. Even though we're going to see a lot of his shortcomings, God was with him. Even though that we, we could look well 
into his life and see every single flaw and the things that he did wrong, God was still with him. And I want you to know that, yes, you are flawed. You are not perfect. You're not. But if you have, if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, this has to be the starting point for your life. That when life hands you plan Bs, if God is with you, then He's wanting to do something through you and in you. Four short verses. Starting in verse 1. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And he brought their father a bad report about them. Now Israel loved Joseph more. This is going to be an important thing here in a moment. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age. And he, was, and he made a richly ornamented robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and they could not speak a kind word to him. A couple of things I want you to note that in the scripture it references, says in verse 3, Now Israel loved Joseph. Israel, that is Jacob. It's the same person, different name. God had changed the name along the way. But if we kind of jump into this, I want you to kind of uh, understand a little bit of what's happening in the background. Joseph, he was the son of Jacob and Rachel. There's a total of 12 sons which will become enormously important in the weeks to come. But you see, there are several different things going on here, but you have to understand who his parents are before you kind of understand a little bit more about his story. I could look at this especially, and I, I've, I go through and I look at his life, and he's 17. Man, do you remember when you were 17? Do you remember how, if you don't, then... I apologize. I remember when I was 17. That maybe means you're a little bit more well in years. I said that pretty nicely, didn't I? But I remember when I was 17, I thought I was invincible. I mean, I really did. I was, at that time, I was a junior getting ready to turn into a senior in high school. I knew that I was going into the Navy, which, you know, I, I knew that that was going to be the plan. I mean, I had, in my mind, I had my mind and, and my whole plan of my life set before me at 17. I thought I was invincible. You probably did too. If you're 17 today, if you're a student in here, you will probably have been duped into thinking the same thing. You're not invincible. You bleed red just like the rest of us. But I, I look at Joseph and he's someone with amazing potential. God was with him. I believe that God was with him as we see from Acts 7-9. God was with him even from an early age. Even with the total of 12 brothers, he being one of the brothers, so I guess he had 11, but 12 kids in the family... That, that we kind of see there's a lot of things happening, but he had amazing potential. A lot of things were going well for him. You see, this is how it works in our life. When we have a plan B, like our plan A, when we're just kind of going through life, we're doing our thing, maybe things are going really well. 
Maybe things are going really well for us and we have maybe just got a promotion and we're rocking and rolling. Everything seems great. Maybe if you're a student today, maybe for you, you're like, you're clicking, you have your friends and like, man, I have a core group of friends I can really count on. And then all these things are going well. Maybe you're getting good grades or maybe you're at work and you say, you know what? Yeah, I got that promotion now. I got the pay raise. A lot of things are looking up. Maybe you're clicking at home and everything's going well. Man, my marriage is good right now. Be, I'd be concerned by saying that. Um, because, you know, that would leave you up for attack. But say, you know, maybe for you, that everything's going well. Maybe from the outside looking in, it would say, man, everything in your life looks great. Have we ever looked at someone like that and falsely thought, wow, their life looks great? Have we ever done that? But you see, so many times when, when God intercedes in our life in a big way, it's when things are going well. It doesn't always have to be going poorly. It's when things are going well. When, when, like when we're 17 and we feel carefree, like we have the world in the palm of our hand, that God gives us a plan B. Sometimes a plan B looks, it looks like a negative thing. Sometimes a plan B looks like, I'm doing really well at work, the company seems very, very structured, everything's, you know, we're showing profits, and then all of a sudden you get this notice on a Monday morning saying that you're, you've been permanently laid off. But everything before that was doing what? It was going so well. Maybe for you, maybe you've been just kind of going through life and you think everything's working out just fine and everything's, everything's great and the kids are great and all their health is great and, and our marriage is great and all these things. But then something happens and then automatically a plan B for you could be devastating news about the health of a loved one. That's a plan B. That's reality, is it not? So many times life gives us a plan B and my hope for you over the next several weeks is not for you to sit here and say, okay, God's given me a plan B that you would become angry with God but that you would have some event in your life like we, sent, like we listened to with Jared's story from that song of saying, God, I don't have all the answers but one thing I can learn from, from all this experience is I can trust you. And that God would say, call me. I'm the one with the answers. I'm the one who can give you help. That's why we're, we're taking this, this time and going through plan B because I have to tell you, the world we live in is very uncertain. It doesn't matter if... I, I, I like to watch the news, um, at least I have over the last couple of weeks. I don't really like to watch it, but I like to necessarily stay informed, right? If you want to hear negativity, maybe you just want to have a bad day, watch the news. It's awesome. <laughs> Yeah, to sink your ship every time. It's wonderful. Um, you want to give somebody an opportunity to encourage you, start there. That's great. But, yeah. I didn't have to work for that one. Thanks. Um, but that's what happens when, when life gives us a plan B. It's when things are looking up. I remember back several years, I had went through the Navy, went through college. Everything was looking up. I... I Got a, enabled me to get my bachelor's degree in just shy of three years. Phenomenal, right? Incredible. I'm thinking for me, man, I've got my, I've got my degree. I've got some experience. I'm going to go into the workforce. I'm just going to, I'm going to go and I'm going to get myself to middle management and be there forever. No, I didn't think that. But I, what I thought was, you know what? Here, here I have everything going for me. I've got a degree. I've got experience. I get into this solid, this this solid company called Garrett Aviation, and and I'm. I'm learning, I'm growing, I'm trying to build relationships, I'm trying to work hard, and all these things, right? 
But then all of a sudden, it seems so random to me, that a guy by the name of Vic, right? I don't know if you can trust a guy by the name of Vic. It just has kind of like a negative connotation, right? But Vic, he brings me into his office. And he's like, he has like little tears in his eyes. And life for me was going well. We had, uh, maybe not necessarily the most responsible thing. I had worked there for a year and a half. We had already bought a home. We were living the quote-unquote American dream. Fooled into thinking that. So we buy this home. Everything's going well until Vic invites me into his office. And he comes in and he says, I, I regret to inform you, but you have been permanently laid off. There's not like a waiting list to come back. This is kind of like, see you later. And I remember that I, I literally, I was going through this experience and my plan A was, I'm taking care of this. I, I'm, man, I, I'm, everything's going well. I've got experience. I've got a degree. I've done everything that the world says I need to do. Why is this happening to me when everything looks so clear? But then God intervened. I didn't know. I didn't know the repercussions of what God was doing. At the moment, I have to be honest with you, as I was driving home, there's a lot of events that, that are working in the background here. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to give you some brevity with that unless you guys want to just rock it until one, which we can, but I'm assuming you don't. But I remember that I remember giving the phone call to Marla as I'm driving home and I literally, I'm going through and I'm, I'm, I'm in tears and it was a long drive and I remember that I'm leaving and I'm thinking, how much of a fool am I? Everything I thought, I thought I was taking care of everything. I had a, a newer car that everything was going well with. I had a house that I had bought. I, everything seemed to be making a lot of sense and my plan A was great until God interceded but one thing that happened through that is that I had a time in my life that I was able to kind of capture at home that I, that I didn't have when I was in the Navy. That God wanted to, He wanted me to, to sit back and reflect on Him, I think, a little bit longer. But God was preparing a place for me, not in ministry, but He was preparing a place for me even when I didn't know it. So His plan B in that situation, and I'm going to kind of share over the next several weeks, I'll be sharing some more of my story, but... One thing that, that was amazing that happened through this is I went through and I thought I had the perfect job. I thought I had everything worked out. When God gave me the plan B, he, I would have a time where I was laid off. All, all of our finances were taken care of. God provided. But yet, all through this, this time, He was preparing the perfect place for me. At the time, it wouldn't last, obviously. I'm here in Dublin, Georgia. But what he was preparing for me, he was preparing another position that would be easier work. And we all can say amen to that, right? And, and then we can say a double amen. I actually, it was for more money. So it was about $6,000 more a year. It was less work. That is a great combination. You need to tap into that. And then, and then lo and behold, that I would actually be working under a Christian boss, which was a total foreign concept working for Vic. Okay. So that God would say, okay, Chad, you've got this awesome plan, and I'm not saying that it's necessarily all that bad, but I'm going to tweak it just a little bit because, Chad, I've got a plan for you that, that really transcends everything that you're in the middle of right now, and I'm going to intercede, and I'm going to shake it up just a little bit. It's going to be a little bit scary. There's going to be a little bit of etching out. Your character is going to be tested. Maybe some relationships are going to be tested. Maybe the core of what you believe is going to be tested, but yet... I went through that process, and what did God do? And I believe He would do the same for us. He, he took 
what was seemingly a bad situation and made it incredible. And then I was actually able to stay at that job for two and a half years. Incredible job. And provide for my family to do what God ultimately wanted him to do. Or what he wanted me to do in my life. But you see, everything was going fine. And then God interceded. He gave me a plan B. I had a choice to make, though. I could have sat back, and I could have felt sorry for myself, and I could have said, Oh, God, why would you do this? You knew that I liked the job, and you knew that I liked this, and you knew that I liked that. I could have. I could have had a pity party that would have embarrassed any man. But I didn't. And yes, was I in tears? I was in tears on my way back. Do you know why I was in tears? Because I thought I had failed as a man. I thought I had failed because now what am I going to do? What am I going to do to provide for my family? What, how am I going to break this news ultimately to my wife that I love and who supports me and that I support her? And now what am I going to do? How am I going to handle this situation? But what is incredible is halfway home. I remember going and I was just, I was in all out tears to going to laughing. To going to laughing and saying, you know what? What am I going to do? I'm all upset. What am I going to do? God, obviously you have a plan here that I don't understand. But I went from tears to laughing, not because I'm emotionally unstable. Just get that thought out of your mind. <laughs> but I went from, 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 from tears to laughing because I went from, oh, poor, pitiful me. Look at me. I've done all this, God. I don't understand why you're doing this to me, God. To, to laughing, thinking... Who am I? God's got this whipped. I just need to, just need to hang on because I'm, I'm on the ride of my life right now and I just need to just stick with Him. This is kind of some of the same things that Joseph is really going to have to lean into in his life as well. Genesis 37, verse 1, it says, Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob, Joseph's father. Joseph a young man of 17 was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. One thing I want to just kind of to bring out here is, obviously there's some polygamy going on, and we see this throughout Scripture. This is not a godly ideal. Polygamy in the Old Testament was man's answer to basically God's wanting them to be patient, is all it was. And that's exactly what happens here. God, in Genesis 2.24, it says, For a man will leave father and mother and shall cling unto his wife, and the two will become one flesh. It doesn't say, For a man will leave father and mother, and basically will go to his wives, plural. It says to his wife. So polygamy is not God's ideal. That was man's answer to God's, basically, maybe to God's uh, work in their life and trying to help them just to learn patience and, and just being more secure in Him. So that was man's answer to what God was doing. And the reason why I, I bring this out is because there were actually four wives. He was a busy guy. He was tending the flocks with his brothers, the son of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah. Those two were actually not true wives. Those were concubines. Those were basically, these women were because, because of Joseph's mother, Rachel, was not having children. So at this attempt, they just basically got impatient and said, well, 
Rachel specifically got impatient and she said, you know what, I want to have some kids. God, you're not giving me kids. I'm just going to go find somebody who will, who will bore some children for us to care for, right? Does that sound like God's ideal? No. That was basically, that was her, her answer to, well, it was a sinful answer is what it was, to what God wanted to eventually do, but they didn't have patience in waiting. And another interesting thing here is that I, I want to draw this out. The fact that, yes, he was 17. There were four wives. Rachel, Leah and Rachel. See, this is, this is all the background things that, that you have to understand. Leah and Rachel were sisters. Jacob, he grew very fond of Rachel. Jacob, that would be Joseph's father. There's, there's a reason why I'm sharing this with you. That... Jacob grew very fond of this gal named Rachel. As a matter of fact, he was very fond of her. And then Jacob went to Rachel's father and he says, Hey, I want that youngin' right there. Because that's what they said back then, I'm sure. (laughs) And he said, If you would like to marry my daughter, you have to work for me for seven years. So Jacob thought to myself, Wow, this is a seven-year investment. This has really got to be worth it. But... She's worth it. So he invests the seven years. Then Rachel and Leah's father decides that he wants to kind of change the game a little bit. And he says, ah, you know what? Not so much. I was going to give you Rachel, but it's really not right that I would marry off the younger daughter instead of the older daughter. So I'll just give you the younger daughter. Her name was Leah. Not a godly ideal. I'm just telling you it's in the Bible and that's what happened. Right? So Leah is actually given to Jacob, Joseph's father. Well... Then Jacob went to the dad again and he says, okay, I really wanted Rachel. What do I have to do to have her instead of or in place of Leah? And he says, well, you're going to keep Leah. And then if you're going to work for me for another seven years, this is a big time investment for for a lady. She must have been worth it. So he goes through and he invests another seven years and then he gets both of those ladies for his wives. Not a godly ideal, not a good thing. But it's captured in Scripture, which means that it happened and it's true. So he goes through, and now, now the reason why I give you this background is because Joseph, as you've seen in the Scripture, that it says that he brought their father a bad report about them. That he, Joseph, brought, a, brought their father a bad report about them. You see, there's animosity in the family. I wonder why. There's four different women, four different groups of kids from, or excuse me, four different wives and then kids following those relationships. So it's very complicated. And Joseph goes through and he, he brings, he's, he brought the, their father a bad report about them. And the reason why I share that with you is because it is not God's ideal that these people, that he would have four wives. It's not. It's not. It's not. God can redeem any situation. He is working out the background and the events here to, to do an amazing work, and he's going to use this man, Joseph. But as he goes through, and you see that there's animosity, and that he, he brought their father a bad report about them, he's basically, he's trying to create a wedge in the relationship that the father has with the other sons. Important thing to note. 
He's trying to bring in a wedge. And he's saying, oh, Dad, I want you to know that this is what the other boys are doing. I don't know if you realize this. This is what the other boys are doing. And the father is soaking it up. The events of all of Joseph's life are marred with suffering and tragedy. They really are. God was with him, but he had to endure great suffering, great tragedy, and great hardship. And I would say the same may be true for our lives. That because of the element of suffering that exists in the world today, which is not God's ideal, that is one of the events that have basically happened because of the fall of man in Genesis 3. That now suffering is into the world, so now God is wanting to redeem His people even though there is suffering. So He's wanting to redeem us through that suffering. Not that we can sit with our heads down and we can feel shameful about ourselves, but that He would be able to look into our lives and that we would have hope through Jesus that we're supposed to have. And He says, yes, there is an amount of suffering in this life, but I want you to know that I'm doing a good work in you. Don't just think about you. Think about maybe the plan B for your life is maybe just the plan A for His life for you. And I believe that to be true. And I also believe this to be true. Philippians 1.6 says this. It says that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That he started a work in you. And, and trust me, if you're, if you're breathing today, which pretty much looks like we all are, that he's not done with you today. That we can have confidence in knowing that he has began a good work in us and it, he will carry it on until completion, until Christ Jesus or until we meet Christ Jesus. That he's doing a work in us. It may feel not so likely right now in your life. It may feel not, you know, it may, it may not feel that wonderful for you right now. You may be in a period of suffering, but I want you to take confidence in knowing that Christ, He has not stopped loving you. If you've accepted Him, then you can have confidence in knowing that He is in relation to you as you are supposed to be in relation to Him. And He who begun a good work in you, and that would be upon the day of salvation, He has begun a good work and He will not stop until your last last breath has been taken here on this earth and he is working out he's etching out things in you he's trying to help develop character in you that would not otherwise be possible if you did it alone one thing i also thought about that i thought was a teaching point for this is is how our character our character is more developed when we're at the bottom of the mountain than when we're at the top. How many times have we seen leaders who make it to the top but yet have poor character and then what happens? They fall. And just by me saying that, you could probably with, with ease be able to tell me at least three leaders, whether religious leaders, political leaders, current leaders, however you want to think that out, you could probably create a, a list in short order. You see, our character is more developed when we're on the bottom. We can't expect to be at the, at the top, quote-unquote, the top of life if we haven't let God develop the character while we're in the bottom. You see, when I got laid off from that position, my character is, was starting to be developed. Before that, it was all about me. It was about my plan. It was about what I wanted to do. It was about my education. It was about my income level. It was about my house. It was about my American dream. And yet God says, you know what? My plan B for you is actually really the plan A that I wanted all along. 
before you kind of decided to go in and do your own thing? And it was in the moment that I was at the bottom of the mountain that God really kind of shaped my character as to the reason why I had the, the mini pity party and the uh, instability on my way home from that event is because I went from tears to laughing, tears thinking about me, what am I going to do, it's all about me, to laughing thinking, well God, you've obviously got your hand in this and what could I possibly do to make this situation any better? I could only make things worse. My character is being more developed when I was on the bottom. If you feel like you're on the bottom today, I want you to know that, that he who began a good work in you is still working in you. Listen to me, you didn't hear me. He who begun a good work in you is still doing a good work in you. And you may feel like you're at the bottom of the barrel today. You may feel like your relationships are in the toilet today. You may feel like whether you're in school and it seems super scary today and you feel like you're on the bottom, I want you to know that God is wanting to etch out and develop something in you that you don't even see. But I believe it's true. And if we were on the top, So many times when we get on the top, we stop looking to God for things because we start relying on our position, which is not something that we're supposed to do. It's not a good thing to do. Not even a a safe thing to do. Well, moving on. Verse 3 and 4 is another point worth noting. It says, Now Israel... Loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age and he made a richly ornamented robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Favoritism is basically what's happening. Favoritism in relationships, favoritism in homes is destructive and it is avoidable. It is. It is avoidable. The favoritism that was going on in the home was basically only perpetuated the problem of, of Joseph's character. The favoritism that was happening in the home only drew out the worst side of Joseph because at this point, he's still, he's still in it for himself. He's still not viewing things of saying, maybe God is doing something through me. He's simply looking at himself. And this favoritism that's cast upon his father is an avoidable disaster. I want you to know that, that favoritism in a home, if you really sit back and think about it, it is recognizable. Favoritism in a home happens maybe when you have common interest. Maybe you have a common interest. Maybe it's you like a certain type of movie, so then you, if you have multiple children, that, that this is something you need to think about. If maybe the favoritism happens, you have a common interest. Maybe you like the same movies and you have a connecting point. You can talk about those movies. Or maybe it's, maybe it's your personalities just really click and you're like, you know what, man, our personalities get together, we just click really well. But my other child is maybe much more subdued. So because that child is subdued, then I don't necessarily have, we just don't click like... I do with the other child of my personality. You are automatically, listen to me, you're automatically going to want to favor that child because you have something in common with them. It's a danger. It's an avoidable danger in your life. Another thing, if, if a child was born in a unique way, we look at Joseph's life. He had been born to him in his old age. The rest of the children had been born. They, the, These two children, and it would be the children of of Jacob and Rachel were born late in life. 
the two sons, Joseph and Benjamin. They were born late in life, so he automatically had this amount of favoritism toward him because he was born in a unique way. It would be the same thing for us. Maybe there's a compelling story. Maybe your child was like born in the car on the way to the hospital. That would be unique. Not something I would wish upon you. I can't make that visit, all right? So let me know when you get there. But maybe if the child was born in a unique way and that gives you another connecting point. This is an avoidable danger in our life. And here's another thing. If the child is maybe the good child, maybe you have a couple children and one of them, and and I guess a connecting point from a a message that we've had is the prodigal son. Maybe for you, maybe maybe that your son or daughter has kind of ventured out and done their own thing. Maybe your son or daughter has kind of ventured out and done their own thing, and yet now you don't feel the the relational connection with them because of choices that they've made. The longer that you keep from having relationships with the, quote-unquote, the bad child, or the child who gives you the most grief, deepens the problem. It is an avoidable danger. It's an avoidable danger. Just because your child's different, just because your child doesn't have a certain path, doesn't mean that God is not trying to redeem that child as well. And who else is he going to use but his parents and family? Favoritism is an avoidable danger in your life. If you look at Joseph's life and you look at the relationship that he had with his brothers, in verse 4 it says, When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Okay, they had went through and they realized that all of these things were happening and that there's, there's so much evidence that there was this favoritism going on that Joseph, his, basically his character, the lack in his character was only being revealed by the actions of his father. And then there's the robe, right? This is, when we hear of Joseph, so many times you think of the robe. I, I think it's interesting this is like the only time in Scripture that, I, that really comes to mind when I think about a richly ornamented robe. And I automatically, when I think of this, I think of Ric Flair. I do. Um, I do. And I think, of, I think of Ric Flair and I think of, woo! You know, and if you know Ric Flair, you know what that is. If not, you're better off by not knowing. But, um, but I think, about, I think about, about this richly ornamented robe, this was a reminder to his brothers, hey, look what I have and look what you don't have. Because the rest of the robes that they wear were more like potato sacks or gunny sacks. They were brown or pale or yellow, really kind of no color at all, and everybody looked the same, but yet he came out with this robe that was just popping in color, and everybody around him could see that he was the favored one. How do you think that would make you feel if you were not the favored one? It would hurt, wouldn't it? One thing that, another lesson I think that that we can draw from this is, is we can't rely too heavily on our position. We cannot rely too heavily on our position. He relied heavily on his position of being the favored one. So much so, he was duped into thinking that he was more than he actually was. And he relied so heavily on his position, but instead, we as being followers of Christ, if you are indeed a follower of Christ, you should be relying on the character that God is wanting to etch out in you. That's what you should be relying on. So when God gives you a plan B, 
that it is His plan for you, and He's wanting to etch out things in you that you would not be able to do for yourself. So instead, don't rely too heavily on your position. Don't rely too heavily on, on your income level, or your 401k, or I have this many kids, or my kids turn out pretty well, or wow, I retired at an early age, or whatever your story is. Don't rely too heavily on that, because He who began a good work in you is still doing a good work in you. And we can't rely too heavily on our position. We have to rely on the character that God is working out in us because we, we are ultimately responsible for the people we're turning out to be. You may have told this to your kids. Maybe your pastor needs to tell you this today, that you are ultimately responsible for the person, the person that you're turning out to be. And just because we've been elevated to a position by others doesn't mean that we have the character or common sense to be there. Just because other people put us on a pedestal, just because of, you know, in worldly standards, it looks like we've got cat by the tail and everything's going well, it certainly doesn't mean that we have the, the character or the common sense to be there. I know automatically, un- unfortunately, in the world that we live in, we're, we're questioning a lot of things. And when we look at this, uh, here's, here's what I don't want you to think. In your mind, you probably just thought of a political figure as soon as I said that. You probably did, right? That was not my intent. My, my intent by putting that on the screen was that you would look at your life and say, what element of my life am I being elevated by other people? Maybe people are putting you on a standard. I want you to know, because other people put you on a pedestal, doesn't mean that you have the common sense or that your character will hold you in that position. It's not just about politics. It's about our walk with Christ. Though it may be true in politics as well. Abraham Lincoln said this. He says, Nearly all men can stand adversity, but if you want to test a man's character, give him power. Give him power. Nearly all men can stand adversity, which is an interesting thing in and of itself. He says, but if you want to test a man's character, give him power. Let's see if he has the common sense to be there. Let's see if he has the the, the character to hold that position, even though elevated by other people. So the robe and the favoritism that Joseph had and that basically surrounded his life only revealed the problems with his character. That's all it did. It isn't really about the robe. It isn't just about the favoritism. It's about his character. That God was working something out in him that at this point, and we're going to see over the next couple of weeks, it wasn't necessarily a favorable result if he were to choose that in the, in the short in the short run, but in the long run, we're going to see that there's an amazing thing happening in the course of his life, but yet... His life at this point and all the events of his life around were basically revealing errors in his character. You see, when we go through a crisis in our life, it often just reveals the problem that existed before. If we go through a crisis now, say that that we basically go through a financial, that we're in a financial struggle. Chances are, you knew about that financial struggle before this, the current hardship hit. Do you follow that? That you go through life and yeah, you say, 
wow, I'm going through this, this hardship right now. Chances are, if you're a child of God, the Holy Spirit's been speaking to you and saying, hey, you need to put a little money back. You need to, you need to maybe trim up a little bit in this area. But when we go through a crisis, most of the time it only reveals what we already know because he who begun a good work in us is still doing a good work in us. Amen? When we go through and we have communication problems in our marriage, a new job or a schedule change only makes the problem more obvious. If you have communication problems in your marriage, chances are, before the crisis hits, you already know that the problem exists. But when you go through a crisis, it just makes it more obvious to you. Why do we have to wait until we have a crisis in our life to do what it is that we know we ought to do? Think about that. Why is that? I don't have the answer. But I wish it weren't true. But I think sometimes it is. So when you go through a crisis, and we all will, we'll all have plan Bs. Look for the message. When you go through crisis, and, and we all go through crisis, because I, I sit here doesn't mean that I'm exempt. We all go through crisis. What is the message behind the suffering? What is God trying to etch out in you and I in our life? What type of, of character development process is he working out in us? That's what he's doing to Joseph. He's trying to, to etch into his character to shape him into the person that, that he really wants him to be. What would that be for you? When God works within those whose hearts are directed toward him, if you don't get anything else today, please get this. Please. Write this down. Write this down on your husband or wife's hand, whatever it takes, right? I said it's okay, so it is, right? Sorry. When God works within those whose hearts are directed toward Him, that is a very important thing in the first part of that. He will remove anything that is not like Him. He will. He will work, when He works in the life of a believer, He etches away everything that does not look like His Son. So when we have sin in our life, we, go through, we may go through hardship in our life, but God says, I want to redeem that hardship, and I, want to, I, I don't want you to suffer through this. I want to redeem this, but the way I'm going to do that is by etching away and help shape your character. So when God works in those whose hearts are directed toward Him, He will remove anything that is not of Him. The reason why, and I firmly believe this, that God removed that, that position away from me is because I was too busy looking at me. And he, he had to strip that away so I would take the emphasis off me and put it on to him. And I think that maybe he wants to do the same for you today. 1 Peter 5.10 says, And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. I believe that that the God of all grace who called you to His eternal glory in Christ, after you've suffered a little while, right? That we go through hardship for a little while. Though there may be pain in the night, the joy comes in the morning, right? It says, after you've suffered a little while, 
He will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. And if he doesn't approve of something in your life, he's probably wanting to change something in your life. If, if he goes through and he reveals a weakness in your life, or he removes a strongful, sinful, sin, sinful nature, something in your life that is sinful, and he wants to rid that of your life, if he's bringing it to your attention, he's probably wanting to, to reveal that to you, and he's probably wanting you to help him etch it away from your life. See, he doesn't just reveal sin for the sake of of making you feel worse. When the Lord comes into our life, He reveals sin to help in the character building process. That's what He does. That's what He does. And if you're a follower of Christ, your conscience, in essence, becomes like a sounding board for the Holy Spirit. You see, we, we all have a conscience. We all have a conscience. Even somebody who doesn't walk with Christ, we have a conscience. But, what happens is, as we become more and more like Christ, the Holy Spirit takes and is a sounding board for our conscience, revealing the things that God wants to remove from our lives. And sometimes when He removes it, it feels like suffering. Sometimes it feels like misery. But if you look for the message, and it's always there, that we realize that He's just trying to shape our character and build us up and not tear us down. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love, your goodness. Thank you for just looking at at us, not as just pitiful sinners, Lord, but you look at each and every one of us as a work in progress. That you have begun a good work in us and that you will continue that good work until the day that we see Christ Jesus. Father, I pray that you just help. Maybe there's someone in here today. Maybe they're at the bottom of the mountain. Maybe they're going through a period of suffering and misery and they're looking for the answers as to why, why, why. Lord, they may get answers. They may not. But one thing that we need to look for any time that we go through hardship or suffering as a follower of Christ is what are you etching out in us? Because if we are to be the redeemed of God, then we need to look a lot more like Jesus and a lot less like ourselves. We just praise you, Heavenly Father, for the work that you are doing in all of our lives and pray that you just watch over us until we all can meet again. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.